0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now here's our message.
1: Please uh, bow your heads and join me in prayer. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. May we put away our distractions, our thoughts, our worries, our cares of this world, and focus on your word as we today remember and honor those who paid a very high price, made the ultimate sacrifice in giving their lives for their love of their fellow countrymen. Lord, we thank you for their families, for their comrades who who survived and so often suffer tremendous guilt because they did so. And Lord, we just pray that during this time we have this weekend, that we would be drawn closer to you through the things that you put into our hearts and our minds, and that as we do so, we would be forever grateful for all that has been done for us through these people's service. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, my message today is titled A Faith Memorial. And this weekend, in a lot of unfortunate ways, has turned into the symbolic start of the summer season with Picnics and camping trips and outdoor activities the main focus for most. As a matter of fact, I I always say Hey, welcome. It's good to be here amongst the people who don't have a camper or a boat or a motorcycle or or an RV, but no really we're, we're we're glad that you're here today Memorial Day Has much more important meaning that goes back deep into the history of our nation in May of 1868 General John Logan, the Commander-in-Chief of the Union Veterans Group, known as the Grand Army of the Republic, issued a decree that May 30th should become a nationwide day of commemoration for the more than 620,000 soldiers killed in the Civil War that had just recently ended. Of those, 364,000 were Union troops, another 281,000 Union soldiers were very seriously wounded. Up until the Vietnam War, the number of Americans killed in the Civil War surpassed the number who died in all our other wars combined, including the Revolutionary War, the Mexican War, Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, and Korea. On Decoration Day, which Logan first called it Americans, we were told to lay flowers and decorate the graves of the war dead, quote, whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land, end quote. Logan probably got the idea from earlier events in the South, even before the war ended, women's groups across much of the nation were gathering informally to decorate the graves of the dead, and in April 1886, the Ladies' Memorial Association of Columbus, Georgia, resolved to commemorate the fallen once a year, a decision that seemed to have influenced John Logan to follow suit, according to his own wife. And Americans embraced this notion of Decoration Day pretty much right away. That first year, more than 27 states held some sort of ceremony, and there were over 5,000 people in attendance at a ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery. But for more than 50 years, that Holiday was used to commemorate just those killed in the Civil War, not any other American conflict. And it wasn't until America's entry into World War I that the tradition was expanded to include all those killed in all wars. And Memorial Day was not officially recognized nationwide until it became a federal holiday in 1971. Unfortunately, there have been several more wars since then. The Vietnam War was still raging when that happened. We've lost many, many lives, too many of our nation's brightest, boldest, and bravest, all of whom we are to honor on Memorial Day. When it comes to bravery, selflessness, and service to the nation, there are hundreds, probably thousands, of wonderfully inspiring quotes, many by some very famous people. And I went through a lot of them and picked out just a couple that I thought were appropriate today. General George S. Patton said, It is foolish and wrong to mourn the men who died. Rather, we should thank God that such men lived. G.K. Chesterton said, said, Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. And Winston Churchill's quote is something you'll probably recognize, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. Now, before you begin to think that you accidentally walked into a seminar on American history this morning, I I need to turn this message over to the person who made the most important sacrifice in all of history, the most influential man who ever walked the earth, who of course had quite a few famous quotes himself. Jesus said in John 15, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And we know Jesus didn't say this in the context of war, but of life, eternal life. The possibility of sinful men and women like you and me being able to spend eternity in heaven, paradise forever in the presence of God himself. He was speaking of the ultimate sacrifice throughout all of history that he himself was about to make, freely giving up his life for the good of his friends. But in order to clearly understand this text, this powerful sentence, we need to look carefully at the context, the words surrounding this phrase. And I know that most of you, many of you, have been through this passage of scripture perhaps dozens of times over the years from a a variety of teachers with a lot more skill and, and Bible knowledge than me. But there is such a treasure trove of some of the important things, the most important things, that Jesus ever said in these scriptures that I ask you to bear with me and see if today's review doesn't bear some fruit and give us a fresh perspective on our faith and how it may tie in with this holiday we celebrate. We start in John 15, verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Friends, these are the facts of the Christian life. If you are a bad branch, you will be cut off because you're not producing anything good. God views you as dead wood. On the other hand, even if you're a a good branch, God will cut you back at certain times. Not might. He will prune you to spur even greater growth and production. And most of us forget that Scripture explains this several times. It works in our gardens, and it works in our lives. But when it does happen, as humans, we complain about every little difficulty. It's much better to take a deeper look at our challenges and problems and recognize that, you know, I, I think just the Lord is, is pruning me so that I can better... Be prepared to deal with future plans He has for my life. Verse 3, You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Now, Jesus said these words, and they became Scripture. They were not yet printed as Scripture at that point in time, but it's true. God's Word, Scripture in the Bible, prunes and purifies us on a daily basis if we use it in the way got intense. Verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. Old translations use the word abide, which has pretty much uh, disappeared from our, our language, our lexicon these days, but, but it means to stay close, to live within. The only way to do this is by maintaining constant contact with the Lord, intimate fellowship. It's critically important that we stay connected to Him because Jesus is the source of all our spiritual nourishment, not Oprah or Dr. Phil or self-help books, not our friends, and certainly not your horoscope. Spending time in prayer, reading the Bible, and obeying His Word, getting together on a regular basis with other true believers, and being continually aware of His presence through the Holy Spirit in our life is the only way we are able to produce fruit. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I, and, I in them will produce much fruit. And we've done whole lessons on what fruit is. It can be anything from saving souls, bringing others to truly know about Jesus, to answered prayer, to joy and love, and a long list of other wonderful qualities listed in Scripture as true Christian characteristics. Then Jesus, in the second sentence of verse 5, says, for apart from me, You can do nothing. Now here we could do an entire message on that one sentence. The world, even the church, filled with those who think, feel, believe they are doing wonderful things. But without the consent, support, and involvement of the Holy Spirit, they, we, are doing nothing that is right in God's sight. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Those who profess to be Christians but really have no true faith are cut off. Those who are believers but backslide or fall into the clutches of the world are thrown away, removed from the fellowship so they don't infect the rest of the tree. People who don't bear fruit for the Lord or try to block the good efforts of God's people will be cut off from His life-giving power. Now, I'm not gonna get into a discussion about whether or not someone can lose their salvation. Most of the Bible experts don't believe that's what Jesus is referring to here, so that's a subject for another day. But there certainly is plentiful scriptural evidence that a good number of those who profess faith in Jesus don't really believe. And Judas was a perfect example. We know a Christian can lose a large part of their eternal reward, as well as a huge amount of blessings in this lifetime through laziness, lack of faith, and missed opportunities to serve the Lord. And ironically, this often happens when a person cuts themselves off from the fellowship of the church. They do it to themselves. They stop attending services. They drop out of small groups or Bible studies and they set their priorities in life according to the world instead of by the word. And very sadly, I've seen this happen more than ever before. Going way back to the start of the pandemic, a lot of people got out of the habit of coming to church and have filled that time with other activities. We're very grateful for those of you who are joining us online this morning, watching from work or from home. But I pray that you're focused, as you would be, if, you're here, if you were here in the room with us. Because I know when we were closed down and I had to watch from home, I wanted to pay attention, but it was much more difficult. It was so much easier to start cleaning my desk or be moving things around or easily being distracted. And a lot of people are hurting because of this. It hurts the church terribly when that happens, but it hurts us as individuals even more. Verse seven, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted because if you're really in Jesus, you're not gonna ask for something that is out of his will. Verse eight, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples and this brings great glory to my Father. You know, as we progress in our walk of Christian faith, we should get better and better at it. Just like this passage, I don't know if you noticed it, but Jesus' description goes from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. We prove ourselves to be true disciples of Jesus to others in the world, When they see us living out a life that resembles the life lived by the Lord. And when that happens, God gets great amounts of glory. All of it. Verse 9. For I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I found that odds are high that if your life is not regularly recognizing and experiencing joy, it's most likely because you're not spending time in the scriptures. You don't know them or you know them but don't practice actually living them out. There's a big difference. And I I always remind myself, and I, I, I preach to others constantly, when it comes to scripture, I say, learn it, love it, live it. When we're not obeying God's commandments, His instructions and teachings, we're missing out on His best blessings and His amazing love. Verse 12, this is my commandment, Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. That simple paragraph is packed with power, and that's where I want to spend the bulk of our remaining time this morning, using it as a a springboard for how we should strive to live out the rest of our days. Very gifted Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe wrote long ago, How is it possible for Jesus to command us to love one another? Can true love be commanded? You must keep in mind that Christian love is not a feeling, it is an act of the will. The proof of our love is not in our feelings, but in our actions even to the extent of laying down our lives for Christ and for one another. And as I was reading this, it it hit me that, that Wiersbe is pointing out the tie to the military. Those in the military who laid down their lives to protect us and promote our nation, Jesus laid down his life for both his friends and his enemies. And I don't know of any soldiers who ever done that in Romans 5 6 we read when we were utterly helpless Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners We were the enemy. God sent his son to die for us. When we send our military off to war, we certainly don't want them to die, yet we know that's often the price that will be paid through the interactions that are made. Our military is sent off into dangerous places where we know the odds of survival are not good, yet we hope against hope they will live. God knew from the very beginning of time that Jesus Christ would come to the earth and die for our sins. Jesus willingly left the majesty and the worship and the comfort of heaven to come live on earth as a penniless person destined to die in a horrible way for crimes he didn't commit. Yet he willingly came anyway out of his deep love for us. He knew it was the only way we could be saved He loved us as friends and proved it by dying for our sins. The sins that had been committed, that have been committed since then. And for those that will happen between now and the day, we take our last breath. And then he gave us that commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. And notice he didn't say it's a suggestion or here's a good idea. It's a command from the ruler of the universe, the creator of all things. And don't feel lonely if you think this sounds impossible. It is. Yet scripture teaches us that with Jesus, all things, anything is possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We remember the apostles very well. His closest followers, his best friends, ran and hid when he was crucified. They all thought, we're next. we got to get out of here. But after he rose from the grave and appeared to them in person numerous times and then ascended into heaven, they were completely transformed. They witnessed his power. They believed his words. They lived the rest of their days to the limit to spread the gospel to all of the known world, and they paid a very heavy price for doing that. And we love church history and tradition. It's not perfect. We can't verify the validity of all of it, as we are able to do historically with much, most, of Scripture. But there's ample evidence that almost every one of the apostles died by violence. We think that that John was the only one who passed away of old age natural cause. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew, believed to have been crucified in Greece. Thomas was pierced through his heart with the spears of four Roman soldiers. Philip helped the wife of a powerful Roman official come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and in retaliation, that leader had Philip arrested and cruelly put to death. Yet, not every true follower of Jesus died or the Christian faith most likely would have died with them. And it's the same in the military. Not every person who signs up to serve in our armed forces is expected to die. However, and this is important because it ties in with our Christianity, they and we are expected to be willing to die for the cause if it comes down to that. Same is true of a follower of Christ. Stephen is the first martyr of the church. There have been millions more since him, standing up for our faith in the face of threats and persecution, horrible treatment, not backing down to threats from governments or those in other religions. Christians continue to die in large numbers these days simply because of their faith and practicing it. Especially in countries like India, China, and most Muslim nations. And many of them are offered the opportunity to recant, to live, if they simply reject their Christianity in public. Most refuse and gladly in their life on this earth as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And I know this is hard to think about, but I urge you to pray that we would all pray that we would someday have that same honor. We've never yet had to face those kinds of things in this nation. It's been centuries since that's happened here. I honestly believe that many of us will experience those things in our lifetimes, right here in this nation. I do believe it's coming, and I recommend again the book Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian Dissidents" by Rod Dreyer. Now, you may be thinking, well, Steve, I'm not a Christian dissident." To which I would say, not yet. But the day may soon be coming that will require exactly that for you in order to practice your Christian faith. But I don't want to get off track today. I, I, I will say that the people that I've recommended this to, and I've done this incessantly, bugging people for months and months, without fail, get back to me and say, Man, I'm so glad I read that. It was really, really hard the first three, four chapters, but I came away in a much better spiritual way. But let's get back to the subject at hand. As deeply faithful Christians, we can die and continue to live. And I'm not talking about living in eternity with Jesus. Of course, that should always be our ultimate goal, to meet Jesus face-to-face and to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your eternal reward. I can hardly say that sentence without tearing up because that is such a a deep desire for me at some point in my future. But I'm talking about continuing to live in this world while dying to ourselves. It's absolutely possible, and more than that, it's required. Following the commandments of Jesus requires that we die to ourselves. We have to put away our selfish desires, power, position, prestige, promotions, things that every normal human being desires and even craves have to go out the window. Shortly after his baptism, as Jesus was coming into his earthly ministry, John the Baptist, who had been, up until that point, the most attention-getting human in the nation, took a step back so that it would be easier for Jesus to step forward. If you remember in Scripture, John the Baptist's followers came to him very concerned because Jesus' disciples were baptizing people. J the bees' crowds were becoming smaller, and Jesus was becoming larger, more well-known. John told his followers he was okay with that, and he said, I must become less so he can become more. He freely stepped back out of the spotlight and took a lesser place in the eye of the public. Philippians 2.3 speaks to this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In order to follow Christ, we can no longer be the number one interest in our life. Jesus must be. And if you truly want to make him number one, we have to elevate our love and concern for others above our love and concern for ourselves, And by the way, this is hard to understand because we love them so much, but that goes for your spouse, for your children, for your parents. Jesus clearly said, you must love God more than you love them. Doesn't mean you can't love them. It just means we have to be better at putting God first and then putting others above our love for ourselves and those closest to us. Jesus told us we prove we are his friends when we live our life in obedience to his commands. And he specifically commands us to love others the exact same way he loves us. That means loving them way beyond doing and saying nice things. It's great to be a nice person. Everybody loves a cheerful countenance and a smile and encouraging words, and that's great. But it goes much deeper than that. It means we are more concerned with their well-being than we are for our own. It means that we're willing to sacrifice some of our success for their survival. It means that we're, being, we're willing to share with them even if we have to go without. We must learn to loosen our grip on our time, our talent, and our treasure it no longer belongs to us. It comes from God in the first place, and it's His to do with as He pleases. And if we're paying good attention to the Lord, we come to realize that it often pleases Him immensely when we freely give our things away to others. We are given new life by the Holy Spirit when we willingly die to ourselves. Colossians 3 speaks to this, starting in verse 3. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. There is a huge upcoming reward for those of us who can do this. And dying to ourselves means we value the thing we, uh, things we learn in God's Word over the things we used to treasure in man's world. And that doesn't just include material possessions, but deeply ingrained habits and behaviors. In verse five, Paul writes, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And this brings us full circle back to today's main passage in John 15, verse 15, where Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Then Jesus goes directly to the opposite of love, which is hate. In verse 18, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you of one of its own if you belonged, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They would do this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but they now have no excuse for their sin." Those very things happened to the church, to the followers of Jesus, shortly after he died and rose from the grave and appeared to more than 500 numerous times and then ascended back into heaven. The church underwent fearful persecution. Millions died. But in the process, they were chased all over the world, and our faith grew and spread and prospered. Now, the thing is, Jesus promises in other scriptures, it will happen again. And I believe there are many, many signs in the world that it's getting closer and closer. And I pray we will not be caught sleeping and unaware. Pay attention. Look around. Look at the scriptures and pray. Now, for just a few moments, I want to get back to the subject of Memorial Day. And here are a few quotes from some pretty famous people concerning those we honor on this holiday, and I uh, will attempt to tie them in with how they also apply to the way we should live out our Christian faith. John F. Kennedy said, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. I couldn't agree more, and neither could Jesus. We can say good things all day. It's living out the words of Christ that show our true appreciation for who he is, what he does, and all that he promises is still to come. Jennifer Granholm said, Ceremonies are important, but our gratitude has to be more than visits to the troops and once a year Memorial Day ceremonies. We honor the dead best by treating the living well. Amen. We honor those who've died in our Christian faith, our heritage, our predecessors, by doing more than going to church on Sunday once a week and not really thinking much about the Lord in between times, by participating in our faith, much beyond important ceremonial times like Christmas and Easter and Pentecost. We honor their sacrifice best when we go out of our way to care for the needy, to feed the hungry, to shelter the homeless, to look after the orphans and widows, and to visit those who are in prison, to be a friend to those who are alone and hurting and suffering. Theodore Roosevelt said, never throughout history has a person who lived a life of ease left a name worth remembering. And we know that certainly includes Jesus. We forget what a difficult life he voluntarily came into. We forget what a glowing example he set for us to follow through difficult, turbulent, trying times. We forget that he was obedient to God the Father, even when his human nature craved going the other way, even when the evil one tempted him. Yet the world will never forget his name. He will forever be honored and memorialized as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Messiah, Emmanuel, Yeshua, Jesus. Today, as we head out into the world, I pray you will try to be aware of and soak in the immense beauty and the unimaginable blessings that we still enjoy in this nation. I pray that you will literally thank God for the freedoms that we have been given, the ones that we still hold on to. And I pray you will continue to work and vote in ways that work to preserve the goodness of this church, of the church at large, and so many of the people in this nation. But I also pray that you will not ignore the things that are clearly coming, that when our time comes to stand up for our faith, that Jesus will count you among those worthy, to give your all in order to carry his name, Christian. May we all be willing to die ourselves today and every day. Do you remember that Jesus once called John the Baptist the greatest man who ever lived on earth? Jesus Jesus knew he wasn't perfect, But yet he gave him that great compliment that's lived all of this time through scripture. John the Baptist did a lot of powerful things in the face of terrible opposition that most people would have been terrified of. But even he wondered when his hardest time in life came. When he was in prison, you'll remember, he sent his followers to ask Jesus, are are you who we thought you were? And this was John's unspoken way of saying, Lord, after all I did for you, I'm rotting in this horrible prison. I'm going to be killed. Surely this can't be your plan for me. And Jesus answered in Matthew eleven four, 4, Go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. We don't know what John's thoughts were after that, but we trust because of his deep faith in God and his unwavering commitment to following the Lord's commandments, that somehow he steeled himself for what was to come shortly when he was beheaded at the request of Herod's daughter. You see, our God had a plan that even the great John the Baptist could not understand. We should expect the same kinds of trials and troubles in our lives. So we should pray for the courage and the strength to never give up on our faith, to never give in to the way society pushes back against our faith in the Word of God. They're all over us these days and it's gonna get worse. We just need to get used to it and we can't whine and cry and complain. We need to be kind and loving and gentle and caring and love our enemies, love others in the same way that God loves us. We should live a life that allows those of future generations to look back on our service in God's kingdom, on our love of others through our single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as is done in the scriptures in Hebrews 11. We'll start in verse 32. This is a a long passage. Bear with me. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised in this life. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Oh Lord, I pray that someday we will be remembered in the same way as those in our military who made the sacrifice that cost them the ultimate price. That we would live a life worthy of being remembered along with the great heroes of our faith. Not a single one of them were perfect, Lord. We laugh at their failures and their missteps. Yet in the end, Jesus forgave them, and because of their deep faith in Him as Lord and Savior, made their faith memorial in the eyes of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that many have been convicted today through these words. I know that I have been. And Lord, we ask that that you would help us to trust in you, to provide strength that we do not yet know that we have, to give us courage to face whatever may be coming, whatever may be lurking, whether it's poor health or financial ruin or persecution or war or disease, that we will rest in perfect peace when we keep our eyes on you. Father God, I pray today that if there's anybody here in person or or listening online that has not yet given their lives to you, Lord, that that would change at this very moment, that they would ask you into their heart to forgive them of their sins, that they would ask you to take over, to be their Lord and Savior, to put your Holy Spirit to work cleansing every impurity. And, Lord, for those of us who who do our best to try and follow you, I pray that we would be different from this moment on, that as we remember those who died in service to our nation, as we think about those who gave their lives as martyrs for the Christian faith because of their belief in you, that we could be more like them in our pursuit of becoming more like you. We love you and we praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
0: This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.